to the Duck Pond Wall. It's a little show here on WEHC where we sit with a friend, an alum, a graduate, and we sort of catch up on the news. Like maybe we were just sitting on the Duck Pond Wall on campus. Molly, do you remember sitting on the Duck Pond Wall? I do indeed remember sitting on the Duck Pond Wall. It was not especially comfortable as I as I recall, but it had a great vantage point. Exactly. You could see everybody coming and going. My guest today, and I do enjoy saying this, so I'll say it fast and then I'll say it slower. Our guest today is Molly Rohrer, class of 84, because that's just fun to say. Molly Rohrer, R-O-R-R-E-R, married Mike Gore, and now she is Molly Rohrer Gore, class of 84. And Always we are- and forever. Always and forever. And we're grateful to have you with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, sure. I'm happy to be here sitting on the duck pond wall. Is it, does your bottom feel uncomfortable? Does it feel like you're sitting on bricks? Maybe I should have asked you to put some bricks in your office chair. So this would be more correct. (laughs) I think we're good. We're good. Okay. All right. Well, I've asked Molly to be my guest this week because she will put up with me stopping to occasionally remind everyone that this is in fact fundraiser week at WEHC, and we hope that you will consider supporting the station with your gifts. We are only here because of nice people who make gifts to WEHC, and we're very grateful to all of you who do, so we hope that you'll think about it. Um, One of the things that we get to do here at the station is we get to talk to people all over the world and all over the country um, to talk about what they're doing and the impact they're having in the world, and Molly is one of those people who has a pretty cool impact. You are Corporate Communications and External Affairs. It's for Santee Cooper, the big power company in South Carolina. Tell us who you serve for Santee Cooper. Santee Cooper, which uh, is actually, uh, we, we got our start back in the late 30s. We are a creature of the New Deal for all your history fans out there. Interesting. We were a WPA project uh, created um, to help electrify rural South Carolina. I'm Our headquarters is in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, which is relatively close to Charleston. And um, at that time, back in the 1930s, overwhelmingly, the majority of South Carolina did not have electricity. And so um, we were created and with the help of uh, federal funding, we built a, a hydropower station, hydroelectric station, first generated electricity in 1942. It was actually, I think, scheduled to come online a few years later, but was accelerated as a national defense project when we joined World War II. And so um, we have five hydro units at that. uh, we, We had to, we had to basically build a lake. We built two lakes, two reservoirs, dammed up a river and, and created the, the infrastructure you need to actually generate hydropower in what is affectionately known here as the low country. We don't have a lot of gravity working in our, our favor <laughs> here. So um, we built um, a series of two lakes and a lock. Um, at the time, it was the largest single lift lock in the country. It goes up and down 75 feet, I believe, between the lake level and then the, the tail race canal that is below it that, that goes to the river. What, is, what does um, that mean, a single lift? Just, in other words, not, not a series, a series of locks. It's not just... a series of lifts, right, straight up and down. Wow. Um, and then again, the five hydro units, and those units are still operating today. I mean, 80 years later, uh, we've still got those five hydro units. Of course, we've you know, done a little maintenance to them over the years. but Duct tape. But they do still work. Yeah, duct tape. <laughs> that doesn't really work on a hydro unit very well. No. Is that unusual for them to still be working 80 years later? It feels like it, it's kind of unusual. That's a long time. You know, I, I, I don't know. I know that our, our hydro facility was built about the same time as the Hoover Dam, and that's obviously still functioning. So, right, um, right. 
anyway, I guess, you know, that what's the adage that uh, we always heard growing up? They don't build things like they used to. Well, <laughs> a pretty good hydro facility back in the 30s. I didn't know the connection to World War II and the New Deal and all that. Um, did, did you play a special role in the war? Well, the reason our project was accelerated, there, Charleston at one point had a Navy base, a large Navy base. And I don't know if it was active in the 30s and 40s, but um, we did have a defense contractor in Charleston that was uh, involved in shipbuilding for the Navy. And so we were, that, they were our first customer. That's why we were um, rushed into service was so we could electrify that defense contractor. That's interesting. Also, I think it's fun that um, that you use the word electrify, which I know is the right word, but it just always tickles me because it sounds like something that would happen to you, like when you stick a fork in a socket. Well, it does. <laughs> it's it's better to electrify a business than it is a person. Let's just yes, say. exactly. So, eighty years later, those places are still churning out electricity to the community. They are. Yeah, we've added, you know, obviously some more modern units since then. But um, uh, and we also added, um, in addition to electricity, we also provide drinking water to about 200,000 people here in the greater Charleston area. So that was something that started in the, I believe, 1990s is when we brought our first water treatment plant on online. And again, using those same lakes that we uh, dammed up back in the late 30s, early 40s. So they provide electricity and water. Well, now that's cool. So that's sort of an added challenge because you've also got to be especially careful about water quality, I suppose. We do. And and obviously we have a, a federal license, FERC license to operate the lakes. Um, and that requ- it obviously requires some water monitoring anyway, water quality. Uh, but yeah, there's certainly a um, there's a whole lot of chemistry and, and science involved in making sure we put out good drinking water. Are there other power companies in South Carolina? Yes, yes. So we are, again, we were created back in the um, late 30s by the, uh, with funding from the federal government. We're owned by the state. So we're a state agency, which means we are a public power utility. Um, there are a lot of municipal utilities that are public power, but it's basically, you know, government-owned power company. So there are, are some municipal utilities also in South Carolina. Dominion Energy actually just bought, a few years ago, bought uh, a South Carolina investor-owned utility. And so Dominion Energy is now in South Carolina as well. Investor owned. Does that mean it's like privately owned? Stock, it's the the ownership shares are traded on the stock market. Yeah. Interesting. Like a monopoly. Exactly. (laughs) Which which gives you the depth of my understanding of how this world works. Well, and then we also, the other big utilities, uh, big utility here in the state are two different divisions of Duke Energy. But in terms of public power, we are one of the largest public power utilities in the country. So we have about 2 million people that we provide electricity to either directly as customers who, you know, we run distribution lines to their house or indirectly through um, electric cooperatives and some of the municipal power utilities in the state. Again, just reminding everyone that uh, we're talking today with Molly Rohrer Gore. Emory and Henry class of 1984, who is Director of Corporate Communication and External Affairs for Santee Cooper in South Carolina. And we're talking about energy. We're talking a little bit about the history of the the power company there, but let's talk a little bit about what the future sort of looks like. You know, you and I, we like we like the world. We like nature. We like those kinds of things, but we also like electricity. We're using it right now to have this conversation. So what sorts of things um, has, has Santee Cooper been looking at and 
and dreaming about and, and what sorts of things um, kind of give us some hope about the future of how we can use power efficiently and effectively? Well, first of all, this is a crazy time in the energy industry, in the electric, especially the electric utility industry. Just things, things have changed quickly and technology is just evolving. Literally, probably as we're speaking, they, they may have come up with a new way to generate power. So seriously, um, it's not quite that fast, but um, <laughs> well, maybe, you know, for years and years and years, it, you generated power from hydroelectricity and then coal and probably oil about the same time came on online as fuel sources for, for generating power. And so Sandy Cooper, you know, we, we evolved along with uh, the rest of the industry and here in the sure. Southeast, especially a fair amount of, of coal generation uh, was built in the fifties and sixties. We added, uh, we, we were partners with, with Dominion uh, Virginia now on a nuclear power plant in outside of Columbia, South Carolina. So we have um, some nuclear power and we have natural gas um, up in the upstate. We have a natural gas unit, which is extremely efficient and reliable. We have uh, renewables. We've added renewables. Um, I think two thir- 2001 is when we brought our first really kind of a demonstration renewable project online, but um, we have added a fair amount of solar the past couple of years and are looking to bring even more online in the next decade. So solar is a fast growing area in the Southeast, especially. All that is good. We're actually going through a planning process now. I think it's about a three-year planning process, um, but we're looking at retiring some older units by the end of the decade or, or shortly before, shortly before the end of the decade. And when we do that, we obviously need to have something to replace it. And so we're going through a planning process. And as many utilities are now, we're looking at a number of scenarios. What's the best option? Because the main thing we need to do is make sure we're, we have power when you go to flip your light switch. Reliability <laughs> is, is, is critical. And that's what, that's what customers want. They increasingly want to have um, you know, diverse capacity resources. They want to have uh, renewables. They want to have, you know, affordable. They want to keep the prices affordable, which sure. uh, we certainly are focused on as well. And there's a trend in the industry to look to get to net zero emissions. And so it's sort of a, it's not, it's not zero emissions, but it's net zero emissions. So the idea is that you offset your emissions with, you know, acceptable initiatives that counteract the impact of um, of those emissions. And so we're starting to look at that too, as part of this, this uh, three your planning process. Um, other things we're looking at that are not in the mix right now, and really the technology is still very much evolving, would include small modular nuclear reactors, which are flexible, and also uh, using hydrogen as a fuel source to generate electricity. A couple of things that are, again, rapidly evolving as, as new technologies. Um, the thing about renewables, uh, solar power, uh, we don't have a whole lot of wind here. Uh, Do you not? Uh, well, they're, they're starting to look offshore, I think, especially in Virginia. Uh, I don't they're looking a whole lot down yeah. here yet, but um, you know we are on a coast, and so it would be. It's windy out there. It is windy. Uh, out there. Again, so that's an evolving technology too. Is offshore wind, especially in the U.S. But the thing about renewables like solar and probably to a lesser extent wind is that they're intermittent. You know, if you have mm. a cloud come over, <laughs> then there goes your solar power. Yeah. And so that means um, battery storage is becoming increasingly important, um, especially at a utility scale. If you're looking to bring a lot of solar on, you have to have something to backstand it or you have to wait to have a way to, to store it. That makes sense. And so battery storage is another area that, that again, the technology is growing. Um, it's fairly expensive right now, but solar power used to be fairly expensive and, and the cost has come way down on that. So Yeah, it really has. It really has. Yeah. 
So well, and the um, whole battery thing. I mean, in addition to having technology that works, you've also got to have room for it. Except that hopefully they're coming up with things that are smaller. That's right. I mean, they're not the, the batteries as a storage unit, as, as an energy storage unit. Are, you know, they're they're still pretty big, pretty bulky. Yeah. But that all that is again that will continue to evolve and continue to become more commercially um, useful. Yeah. Uh, in terms of reliability and, and and affordability as well. Why do you think so this is that. such a good time for for energy? Why do you think there's so many great new developments happening? I mean, there, there are younger, smarter there's, people. There, there's, I mean, there's the whole um, discussion and concern around climate change. I think has probably driven a lot of research into technologies that that do not emit greenhouse gas. And then, you know, the, the demand, I think, I, I, I know demand, our electric demand is increasing. I think some parts of the country it is not, but but it is here. And so it's, just, it, it's, it's only natural as you start to look at your next resource, you look at what the new options are. Right. It's like you go to, you know, you want to go buy a car, you look and see what the new features, what are the new gizmos, the new gadgets. Yeah. So batteries. you're going to have electric windows now. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of emerging technologies, the whole electric vehicle industry as well. So, oh, that's um, true. So you've got to yeah. be able to figure out how to charge those puppies. We got to make sure we got to have we have the power for people to charge those. And and so it's not just about you know making it's not just about delivering power, but it's also about trying to encourage customers to be smart about how they use power. And the main thing is if if all of our customers came home tomorrow with an electric vehicle and plugged them in at five o'clock in the afternoon on a, the hottest day in August, Boom. we have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have a problem. And so it's, you know, it's, um, there, there is room and, and certainly um, resources for all of those things properly managed. Well, and yet as it gets warmer, people are going to use more electricity to, in order to not bake at the house. You want to be comfortable. That's for yeah. sure. But, you know, interestingly, we also have just started, we have a, we have a pretty good track record with energy efficiency programs and we, we just op- launched a new one. It's more of an energy management program in January. And we're trying to convince customers again in August, now it's September, but to let us come into their homes, install switches on their HVAC units and hot, and hot water heaters. The idea being if if we have a, a heat wave, like yeah. a days long heat, heat wave, like we had a couple of those this summer and there's a strain on the, on the grid, yeah. then it gives us the ability to reduce demand. I mean, they volunteer for it and there's an incentive to do so, but it, it, it's another way to kind of reduce demand. If you get enough people installing these switches, then small things add up and you can manage your um, energy delivery that way too. So what would the switch do? Turn off your air conditioning? It turns off, it turns off the, um, whatever it's attached to. Yeah. And what it, what you do with, like with the air conditioning is you would cycle it on and off for periods of time over a full, about a four hour window, maybe. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not like you're going to lose your air conditioning for four hours. You'd lose it and then it would come back. And, you know, so it, right. it's this cycling um, of the of the unit. But Okay. And as much as I love that idea, that I'm betting that's a hard sale. Well, marketing matters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to share an opinion. I would say that part of the reason that we're kind of in a pickle is that we like to do things the way we like to do them and we don't really want somebody else telling us what to do. And that's, you know, we're getting into some situations now where um, somebody's got to make some hard decisions because the resources just aren't there. When you think about big cities that have struggled over the years with um, traffic congestion. And they build mass transit systems and they have them available. But like you said, people want to do what they want to do and they want to drive their car. And so, again, it's that kind of thing. It's it's trying to um, sell the benefits of the greater good. It's a balance. I mean, everything's in balance. 
Um, yeah. You know, four hours an afternoon. If the alternative is a system that is so constrained that you have that you actually Brown have to power them. And it takes a while to build new generating resources. I mean, it takes years. If you have a couple of gangbuster years with growth and then, you and then the technology no, no way to generate power. <laughs> And you've got to, you got to balance it out somehow. So right. anyway, it's, it's just, it, again, an interesting time where you have all these different um, options uh-huh. and new, again, new technologies to consider and what can you implement? And how quickly can you make it benefit the system and, and right. all, all your customers? Well, and, you know, and speaking of renewable energy, energy, that seems like a good segue into me saying that, you know, the radio tower here at WEHC is powered by the sun. We're real proud of that. We've got some solar panels up there that help to run the radio tower. Um, uh, we were laughing before we got on about the fact that when we were students, the campus radio station was some some wires strung between the buildings, and you might hear it in the cafeteria in the morning, but that's about as far as you were going to get it. And you know, now we've got this great radio tower that broadcasts, and I've, I've listened to our station all the way into Bristol or you know into Marion. The other day, I was listening to <laughs> I was I left at halftime of the football game and wanted to listen to it, you know, all the way to my destination in Roanoke, which was not quite possible, but I did keep the station longer than I expected to. And then I pulled over and switched to the internet so that I could listen to it the rest of the, the rest of the day. And if you, and if people were listening to that game, you know that we got some extra time listening to the football game this past Saturday because it took two overtimes for the nationally ranked Newberry football team to beat Emory and Henry. It was very, very exciting. But anyway, but that's that's a nice way for the station, I think, to be involved in renewable energy is to have that that solar, those solar panels up there that are powering the, the station. So we're kind of that's great. It. So if you're thinking about making a donation to public radio, this is a great time to do it because after all, WEHC is part of that public radio family and we're real proud of that. You know, you might even think about being a day sponsor. Molly, did you know you could be a day sponsor for $90.70? You could sponsor a whole day of broadcasting on WEHC. Did you know that? I did not, but that's quite a bargain. It is quite a bargain. You can do it in honor of little Sadie, your sweet little pup Sadie. And, you know, we could say it's Sadie Day. Sadie Day. I like that. Sadie Day. We could have, and, you know, and and Ivy, the station manager, she'll put in some barking for for your day sponsor. She's very clever that way. So we can we should talk talk about doing a Sadie day. I think Sadie would like that. I think she, she would, would probably even bark for you. Oh my gosh, we could get her live and in person doing some barking. That would be fantastic. On Zoom. On Zoom. <laughs> Some Zoom barking, and she, then she can chase a tennis ball, which is what she lives for. I'd have to save some money for tennis balls. I can't give all my money to WEHC. Can of tennis balls and a day sponsor for less than $100. What a deal. What a deal. You what a deal. deal. Just to remind everyone, we're speaking today with Molly Rohrer Gore, who is the Corporate Communications <laughs> and External Affairs Director for Santee Cooper Power Company in South Carolina. And we're talking about some of the um, challenges with power companies, but also some of the opportunities. And we're, Molly, I was intrigued that you said that there's so many great advances being made right now and so many changes coming along. How long have you worked for Santee Cooper? Um, I think I, I came to Santee Cooper in 15 years ago. So it's been 15 years. Yeah. And you've seen a lot of changes just in those 15 years, probably, haven't you? I have. We, let's see, we had just put our first little demonstration solar panel, solar panels on the grid uh, in 2006. So it was a few months before I got here. Um, but we, like I said, we've, we've rapidly rolled out um, over the past few years, couple of years, um, additional solar. And that technology has changed. It's become 
you know, a whole lot more efficient, the more bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, so we've done that. We've, we put a first little demonstration wind turbine on the shore uh, up in North Myrtle Beach a few years ago, well, probably about 10 years ago. And that's, yeah, again, it's still sort of a demonstration unit because, as I mentioned earlier, that onshore wind is, is not cost effective and yeah. it's really not very strong. So, yeah, at least not in this part of the state. So, but yeah, there's, there have been, a, we've, especially in the energy efficiency area, we've done a number of things with energy efficiency programs for customers. What, yeah, what do you mean by that? Well, the, a lot of what we do is rebates for energy efficient appliances, we're rebating for um, in-home electric vehicle chargers. So if you um, if you're one of our customers and you install, a, you know, you, we have information on the website that tells you what kind and all that sort of thing. But yeah, we'll rebate and help you put the help you cover that upfront cost on the charging unit. So so sort of instead of like fussing at people and and punishing people for doing the bad, the wrong things, you're kind of incentivizing doing the right things. Well, you know, I always like the carrot more than the stick, so. You know, and there's nothing worse than a carrot on a stick because then you don't know what to do. Uh, yeah, that's that's a mess. Who, yeah. who came up with that idea? So what gives you the most hope looking down the road for energy? I did talk about how, how fast things are changing, but that's really in terms of the, the technology, the research um, that's underway. I, I think what I would expect is that um, we need to have an appropriate and a realistic timeline for how we get from here to there. We need to make sure that, you know, there, there's, we need to keep some diversity in our generating resources. We don't need to have everything, you know, 100% solar power is not, is not going to provide the reliability that you want. Right. You need to have things that go along with it. And so, again, I think um, utilities, uh, it takes time to build things. You wanna make sure that you don't jeopardize the reliability of your system. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that your customers can still pay their bills. And so right. realistic timeline, I think appropriate interconnectivity, the, the grid is only as good as the grid. You need to make sure that, um, that we're maintaining and, and the resiliency of the grid. We have a, a pretty um, robust cybersecurity group here, uh, as, as I hope all utilities do, because the power companies are, are cyber targets. You know, I feel silly that I've really never thought about that until kind of recently when, you know, people started going, hey, we need to be worried about that. But I really never thought about the fact that they were so vulnerable. To- and, but there's a whole lot of, there, there are a whole lot of people uh, nationally. There's, there's, there's networks, there's people talking to people and, and again, strength in, in numbers, working on securing the capital G grid. But it is something we, you know, you have to stay on top of. All right, so as we're getting ready to wrap up, but I, you know, I'm going to get in trouble with Teresa Keller if I don't mention that you know that you in fact have some mass comm chops under your belt. Yeah, you you did major. Did you double major in mass comm in English or just English? No, I, I I majored in English, but I took a whole lot of mass comm classes right out of college. I went and worked for um, a couple of newspapers in Virginia. Not little I newspapers. Finished up at the Richmond Times Dispatch, which of course was stomping grounds for another great. Emory and Henry alum, Alf Goodykins. That's exactly right. You were one of Goody's, Goody's best. You're d- doing this thing now. What at Emory and Henry has followed you to this, this really huge and important job that you're doing for Santee Cooper? Is there anything that you did as a student that makes you go, oh, I'm glad we sort of did that, or I'm glad we talked about that, or? I was going to say the classes, the classes um, were certainly instrumental in in shaping, shaping my career. So was the white topper though. I mean, Laura, Laura Craven Duncan and I were 
co-editors in the White Topper. And we worked on it, of course, before we were editors of it. And, and just having the freedom at, at Emory & Henry to be able to do journalism in a, really in a, in a very comfortable, small, familiar setting, I think, certainly translated into be, me being comfortable communicating, whether it's through journalism or, or corporate communications now, communicating, talking to people, expecting them to um, have interesting things to say, and people do, you know, they did at Emory, they do now. So uh, it just, it gave, I think for all of that just gave me a, a real passion for communicating well, and helping, good. People, I, I, helping people communicate. I love that answer. And I, I love how many times when I ask people that they do make reference back to things like the campus radio station or the campus newspaper, because it's one thing to say, oh, those are just extracurricular activities. But time after time after time, people will say to me, that was some of the best experience I got. I also learned how to dodge bats. <laughs> we Where nice. was the white topper office? Was it in Martin Brock? The top, the top of the SAC Center, yes. So we were up <laughs> one night putting together the, the, the newspaper, which of course we did by printing things out, putting wax on the back of them and sticking them to, you know, the, it was, that was, that was a long time ago. Yeah. There was no pagination involved there, but yes, uh, the windows were open and the bat got in. Nice. Yeah. And we yeah. should point out, you do mean, in fact, a little brown bat and not a baseball bat. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause that would have been a much scarier story if it had been a baseball yes, bat. Somebody would have had to be throwing the baseball bat. Now, this, yeah. was, this was the winged critter. So. That's awesome. Well, I love that that's part of your experience. And I love that, that that is one of your memories of something that has really helped you out. I think that's terrific. All right, we're going to wrap up. We're going to wrap up and move on. I want to thank Molly for being <laughs> the most patient um, a guest I've had for a long time because I gave her 5.4 minutes to prepare for this. And she knocked it out of the park as if she had a real bat and not a little brown bat. And so um, I want to thank you for being with us and being our guest. And I want to thank everybody for being here and listening, for listening to WEHC and for listening to public radio. Your support means the world and it allows for us to tell some really great stories like the story of Molly Roragor, class of 84, from little Lexington, Virginia, who is now in charge of, she acts like it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal what you're doing. And we're, we're proud of you and grateful for the work that you're doing with Sandy Cooper. Well, it's a great place to work. And I work with some fantastic people. I enjoy every minute of it or most every minute of it. Nearly. Well, thank you for sharing with us. And thanks for sharing your hopes and dreams about the energy picture of our future. That is exciting to know that we're, we're learning new things every day and headed in a good direction. That's very exciting. And again, thanks all of you for listening to WEHC today. And we hope that you will stick with us because you know what? Those gifts you're making to WEHC are providing some wonderful, wonderful programs right here at 90.7, The Voice of Southwest Virginia. Thank you.